This is Barrett Edelstein, and today I'll be interviewing Mr. Nick Hayward from the UK. Mr. Hayward, how are you today? Where do we find you? What's happening in your world? Um, well, I'm in I'm in my turret. You know, this is, this is actually the desk where I, I'm being creative at the moment, uh, where I read, and where I this is my album is all in here. Okay. And this is the microphone I'm using. Uh, this is the slate heart that I put my tea on. <laughs> this, is, this is my mouse. Yes. And uh, this is my my yacht. <laughs> What's a yacht? What, what does that represent? It's just, just my boat. Just your boat. This is, this, is, this, is the, this is the future. Okay. Okay, this I like that. Okay. You know, this is the present that I'm going to, you know, this is what I aspire to having one day, a fisherman's yes. trawler. You know, metaphorically, it's it's uh, it's the it's the way out of this harbor. Okay, that makes sense. You know, that makes sense. Yeah. Let's take it all the way back to the beginning. Tell us about your musical journey. Well, actually, it started quite early, really, with my parents. My father, well, both parents, mum and dad, Ken and Anna, were both really into music. Really, really, really. Uh, but dad, especially into jazz. I mean, he was a very enthusiastic about jazz and he took me to see Count Basie, Oscar Peterson and Ray Charles at Hammersmith Odeon when I was probably about six or seven and so that's what I thought music was that's what was played in the house you know he had Dave Brubeck, um, Woody Herman I would say who was the other guy there was this Tubby Hayes that was it he was really into Tubby Hayes and this, so this was really cool jazz. This wasn't just kind of commercial jazz. This was really intricately woven jazz. So that was what I had filled the car with it, with his eight track. So that that was my idea of what concerts were really. Um, and then it was my brother. He was really into pop music at, of the time. So it was Bowie, Diamond Dogs, um, you know, Bolan. Like you know, mm -hmm. I remember hearing Ride a White Swan out of his bedroom. His purple carpeted bedroom with wall-to-wall -wall WEM amplification and you had this thing called a copycat a WEM copycat which were just it was a bit of tape that just went round and round and so anything you played it just repeated on a loop okay. like an okay. early loop like um and it just so he'd be in his room going do and smoking stuff and it was you know it was incense in there and it was you know a little bit Bieber as well yeah. you know there were pheasants pheasants feathers everywhere and it was dark and um he had he had permed hair you know it was all kind of it was a little bit, bit phil Linnett in there you know and the boys are back in town was kicking off um and that was it it was just kind of that that they were the influences of, of the time you know hold your head up by argent and uh so but the first band i i just embraced was i nicked on the level by quo a really early Spurs Quo record. And, and I just thought, they look great. I really like the denim. I like I like just the triple denim that they were wearing. <laughs> so I, I tried to find some denim somewhere. So <laughs> I hunted around for some denim and I found some denim Wrangler flares and a waist a waistcoat like Francis Rossi. And I found a denim coat with some fake sheepskin here. Yeah. And I had long blonde hair like Rick Parfit that was a bit thicker than, it looked like, Looks like Francis Rossi was quite fine. The hair, the mine was a bit thicker too. So, and I wanted to get it round here, you know, the hair like that. So I had cascading blonde hair, long blonde hair, and denim and platforms. And I was in the room just, you know, 
down, down, deeper and down. It was rough and it was basic. And I was just like in my brother's purple bedroom, just thinking, yeah. <laughs> you know, I didn't think I didn't think I could do this. I was yeah. just kind of loving music. You know, it was much better than school. Yeah. You know, school was really bland and boring. And, you know, all the things that I wanted when I was older, you know, I got round to that, like books and stuff like that. I wanted to do that when I got older. But when I was younger, it was just that. It was like, ride a white swan. Why would you Why would you even do that? Why would you even think about riding a swan? What was that? What did it mean? <laughs> you know, I, I yeah. never found out. Yeah. I never knew what that was. I found out later. You find out all that stuff, all the mm-hmm. crazy mm-hmm. lyrics, what they mean. But if they mean anything at all. But it's just that thing of, you know, I mean, when I first heard Bohemian Rhapsody, I thought, wow, what? How is this stuff even made? Yeah. So I just thought there's no way I could do this. You know, I mean, this is my, like my brother. He can do that. He, well, he played it. He was in his bedroom playing it and stuff. But it wasn't until punk kicked off, 77, 78, that I thought, I think I could, I could do this. I could do this. So I was, you know, I went to a music shop in Tim Pan Alley in London because I was up in London working as a commercial artist by then. Um, went to the local record store with my friend Rob and he bought a snare drum and I bought a guitar and then we went back home and we just did our version of Bohemian Rhapsody which which was just D, C, G <laughs> nothing <laughs> like it but it was just, you know, you start you've got to yeah. start somewhere Yeah. and uh, we you started somewhere and that developed and then by the time things had developed even further uh, helped actually by Les Graham and I's girlfriends which was the band uh, there was three of us in the band that's sort of like where you developed from school bands and local bands into, you know, we're getting to 18. It's getting yep. seriously. Girlfriends sort of like chuck us all in the same week. Like, right. Okay. Let's, we've got all this time now. Let's focus on the band. Let's, let's get a flat together. Let's live and breathe the band. And then suddenly all the band names that we had were crap. And then you suddenly get serious about it. And so get a good, good, good name, get start going to King market. Looking better, looking much better, not like we were last year. You know, we weren't doing, that wasn't very successful with the ladies, you know. Yeah. That's not, we're not going to get anywhere with that, looking like that, you know. Um, and then you you just, it was starting to actually happen. And, you know, and I was very impatient. I wanted to, to for it to actually happen. So I just walked into the NME and thought, right, got to get an interview. Because we if we can't get an agent, you know, or we can't get gigs, we can't get anything going. I'll just have to get an interview then. So walked in and got an interview and Adrian Thrills came round. And, and so we suddenly we were a band with a New Musical Express half-page interview. Oh, wow. With, you know, and out of nowhere, absolutely nowhere land, suddenly there's this band called Haircut 100 with, with, crazy, with a crazy look, just, where you know, from Beckenham. That was it. So where did that name come from, Haircut 100? How did you guys choose on that specific name well i was really into pop art you know um and just writing words down and for type so that i could put them around pictures and stuff so i i used to see words as just you know words on posters or word type type around pictures whatever the picture was so i just liked putting words together that's why i think that's why i became a songwriter because i couldn't work out other people's songs. So I just, I was good at making stuff up. up. So Haircut 100 was just something I made up. Like, you know, what about okay. Haircut 100? And it's just like, we'd had many names up until then, but just Haircut 100 was was like, got this reaction from people of what, why? 
What? Why? Okay, that's good. And it just so it stuck. Okay. It's like that's actually a really good name. Yeah. Quick cereal we were for a while. And you know, it just doesn't have the same thing. It's quite interesting, but it's just it's not haircut one hundred. And it, it's funny because it really coincided with the time as well. There was lots of bands that seemed to be using numbers like Heaven 17, you know, and Level uh, 42. Okay, yeah. And yeah. Uh, you know, we were big Level 42 fans as well and UK players and fans of the funk scene that was happening, that had been happening in, in London for a while. It, the whole Brit funk thing was always underneath there. But, you know, as these cultural waves were repeating themselves and coming over the horizon, you know, where mod had come back round again. And, um, you know, because punk had developed into new wave and there was another wave and there was another wave. And there was this kind of wave of music, funk revival, helped by chant number one, really, Spandau Ballet. And it just had caused something to happen where, you know, they'd worked with, you know, great British funk players. Yeah. You know, they, they brought in and it was just kind of like, okay this is there's something happening here that's not you know those funkapolitan uh, abc yep pig bag of the higsons and us uh, and so okay this is um and blue rondo alaturk who were friends we were all we all sort of knew each other in a way uh, you know abc were more sheffield uh, same as heaven 17 that was coming from an industrial place but from london it was coming from a more dance orientated place you know the beat route and, and sort of clubs so this Brit funk wave was a little, it wasn't as big as New Romantic or anywhere near as big as punk or even the mod revival or something. But it was just, it was definitely a, a wave of the time and we were in it. And so I was thrilled that we're in this wave, um, surfing it. It's like, okay, we're in it. Okay, we're going along with it. And so that's what just helped with, there's a band in the enemy on that wave. Well, we're here. I was listening to uh, the earlier tracks on the weekends in preparation for today. And I, felt, I was listening and there's a lot, this African, Caribbean, big band, jazz, funk, new wave, all of those different elements together. Was that intentional mm. when making the music or was it experimental and it just sort of happened? Well, you know, it's that thing of build it and they will come, you know, uh, all our influences within the members, that's, that's the, the luxury and the lovely magical side of having a band. You know, it's the enchantment of a band, isn't it? You know, you've not just got one influence, you, you've not got two or three, you've got all the influences coming in that, that, that the individual members have grown up with. So you put all that together and you're bound to get something different and unique. Yeah. It's not going to be the same as any other band. Um, but I, I suppose uh, you have your musical influences, but can you actually play that? Like, you know, I'd grown up with Oscar Peterson, but I couldn't play the piano like Oscar Peterson, but I had the influence, I had the information in there. And as we grew as a band, like Les, the bass, he was into Shalimar, his influences of Shalimar. I'd, I liked Shalimar, but I'd only just heard them as kind of the pop music of the time. And I remember thinking, wow, the production on that. I mean, you hear it today, it's fresh as a, as a daisy. You know, as funk is, it's just, you know, Corey Wong is doing brilliantly now and it just sounds completely contemporary, but it's funk, yeah. you know, and it just, it's a kind of eternal thing, funk, it seems. It could just go on and on. It sounds totally clear, you know, and uh, it's just, yeah, a brilliant form of music. The different influences. And then, then it was just the three of us. And so then when Mark joined, who was Latin American Brazilian influence, he could actually play that music. And he was, he lived and breathed that music 
I mean, craft work and other things as well, but mainly it was, that was his big influence. So, and he could do it. So when he came in, he brought all that experience into the band. So that's why Favourite Shirts is so filled with actual, you know, genuine, authentic, you know, Latin American, Brazilian influence. Yeah. Because he could play gueros and... Yeah. <laughs> and he was a brilliant percussionist. So it's like, you know, we were really pleased and proud to have him in the band because it was kind of like, wow, we're really getting good, aren't we? We came, and then when, you know, when Blair joined, who was American, it was like, oh, wow, well, we are actually a genuine funk band and we can compete on the world stage here with Blair. Oh my God. Um, people were kind of like, I remember or the guy from, um, I remember Orange Juice. Uh, when we played up in the Ultratech, uh, I think it was Alan Horn who who ran Postcard Records came up and said, "How do you how do you sound like that?" You know, and I said, "Well, it's, it's Blair Cunningham." You know, <laughs> it's like he's solid as a rock. I mean, if you ever hear him, watch. I said, "Wait till you check the live show out." And he came up afterwards and went, "I see it." You know, and it's funny yeah. because Orange has got a, a, a drummer, a similar drummer, <laughs> not, not, not 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 yeah, quite. Um, close after that and then you move from haircut 100 to a solo career which is spanning all the decades tell us about the solo career yeah it started off from quite a sad place because you know haircut 100 had moved on to another record label and continued and stuff so it wasn't like something i'd worked towards and was kind of ready for because that would have probably been lots later we've probably all done solo albums and you know, bands don't stop after one album, they continue. Yeah. You know, the Beatles made it to 10, you know, and like Duran Duran is still here, you know, and Depeche Mode and, you know, the, how many albums are they on? I mean, it's brilliant, uh, U2 and, and lots of stuff. But so this was kind of like a, you know, quite a, it, not, it wasn't planned. Uh, okay, like, just go with it. So, and also it was how I wanted Haircut to sound. You know, I wanted Haircut 100 to work with G Jeff Emmerich. Who I ended up working with to sound like this because I really got into the Beatles that I'd never got into before. I was just listening to them on the coach going to in, in haircut gigs. You know, everybody had their stuff that they listened to on the Walkman. Yeah, yeah. And I was listening, <laughs> I discovered the Beatles. I was just like, this is the best thing I've ever heard. I mean, once you've heard Penny Lane, you can't unhear it. And it was such a strong influence. I, I just thought to sound like that. And then, you know, so there was a chance of working with the man who'd, who'd recorded Penny Lane. And he'd also done an album uh, called Imperial Bedroom with Elvis Costello. And there was a song called Town Crier. Mm -hmm. And I just thought that is, I, I, you know, this was it again. You know, I'm like getting to sort of like 21, 22 and maturing and wanting to sound like that. That's, that's, that would be amazing. There's, I've got the song, I've got the song called Whistle Down the Wind and it's really, you know, it's developed over the years. It used to be called Look, Look at Ruby and it was okay. And it used to have a sax solo in the chorus, but it needs a chorus chorus. So like, hello, hello, hope you're feeling fine. Yeah, this could be like our first number one. And, but that wasn't, wasn't to be. And it's just like, ah, right. That could, that could be it, but it, it didn't happen. But just that was what I wanted to do, to sound as wonderful as Town Crier. You know, I don't know if you know that song, but it's I know, a brilliant song. I'm, I'll I'll have a listen, but I do know Elvis Costello, so I'm sure. Yeah. yeah. But you mentioned it, it happened when you weren't planning it. And there's a saying, life happens when you're making plans. <laughs> so <laughs> it's just about riding yeah. that wave and just accepting 
that journey, whatever life throws at yeah. you, and you just move forward. Yeah, well, you know, things don't go as gracefully as you'd like it to be. Yeah. You know, sometimes it's messy, and it's not what you have in, in plan. You know, otherwise we'd all just kind of like breathe with this, what you, what you think is going to happen. Yeah. Sometimes it's not what happens, and it, like you said, and uh, and you have to, it's how you deal with it, isn't it? Because some people don't deal with things too well, and some people do, and some people are eternal op- optimists as well, and, and they can turn it around quickly or... So you can finish some people off really quickly. Um, I mean, in the music world, it's definitely filled with that yeah. because it's just creativity and sharing creativity, really. But with some people, it's a lifestyle and, uh, you know, it's their, it's their life. And if you lived and breathed rock and roll lifestyle, you probably wouldn't last six months physically. You know, I mean, it's like watching UFC fighters now. You think some of them... The way they're fighting, they're not going to be here at the end of the week, let alone, <laughs> yeah. you know, 20, 10 years or 15 year career. Of, you know, I mean, being hit in the face 20, 250 times in one match. Yeah. Like, whoa. You know, and there are other, you know, like other USC fighters that have been only been hit about once or twice in their whole career. You know, they're just so slippery and like Khabib. Yeah. You know? I mean, I don't know if you know about UFC, but it's just it's just a gruesome sport. Yeah. You know, you just sit and go, wow, you know, and some people are really, you know, there's only a few that have, have earned millions and done really well and had great careers out of it. And, and same same with music. It's just it's just the way it it's just the way it goes. So what if it was just down to you, everybody I'm sure would have just said, Well, I'll have I'll have a I'll have 20 albums, they'll all be number one, and then I'll retire. Yeah, <laughs> that, that, that would be lovely. <laughs> yeah. You mentioned the creative process. What is your creative process in creating music and or a song? Is it always different or is it always coming from the same place? Um, it, thankfully, it's, it's always different. I have to approach it that way. Otherwise, it would get same, the samey. You know, yeah. I, I would, you know, because I can sit down and actually just like, I've got a guitar around here, but just sit down and play and sing a songwriter style and you play a G and you go, thinking of you, thinking of all the things you do, you make me feel like a, another cup of tea, you know, <laughs> like, okay, right, I, and that's you sitting down, playing G, going to D, maybe C, all the things that you've done and you keep doing. And then there's other times where, say like this song I was working on called The Mudlarks on this, on the newer thing I'm doing. I was in my studio uh, like this. It's a desk like this, but uh, Sarah's American. So half the year we're over in America. Okay. And there I've got like just a, bit, a little bit more than this. I've got a pair of speakers and other things, but I've got a laptop the same with Logic on. And I was trying to work out how to do it because when you go six months here, six months there, and you don't do anything to do in the studio for six months. It's a bit like not using your phone. You go, where, where is everything? What, yeah. what's, you know, so I have to reacquaint myself. So I was reacquainting myself with the logic going, how do, how do I, how do I record acoustic again? So I'm trying to record acoustic and it was really, really low volume and sounding awful. And I thought, oh dear. I was just playing something, not thinking about it, not, not sitting down like I've just, showing you and playing G and singer songwriter or or even sort of trying to be anyone. That's the worst thing when you go, I'm just here thinking of you. Like you think, ooh, who's that? I sound like someone there. And then yeah. the next minute you're writing a song like that person or you're going, I'm just here sitting down 
you you know it's a bit dylan sort of stroke mick jagger a little yeah. bit and uh, you think oh i quite like a bit early water boys there oh i quite like that so this was none of that i was sitting down trying to think do something and i played it and i was trying to record the something right so i've got this sound up and it says something like i don't know broken smell or something like that so i pressed on that just to try and work it out and it sounded glassy and i thought oh that's that's quite good quite glassy so i was picking out things and i thought glassy it sounds like that's kind of like sparkling things in the mud um i thought oh that's like mudlarks you know that's like beach shells washed up in the morning tide the mudlarks see what there is to hide oh i quite like that oh and that's like sort of like dickensian like kids kids playing oh that reminds me of dad and we used to go to that pub in, yeah, the Prospect of Whitby, wasn't it? Yeah, oh, okay, like the, the mud. Oh, that's like the Sex Pistols, Filth and the Fury, the filth of mudlarking. And it's a bit like Brexit. It's, things are going backwards. And, okay, how far back do you go? Do you go back to mudlarking? Okay, and, uh, da, 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 and whistles and glass and sparkly things and mudlarking and pipes. Yes, clay pipes. The clay pipes laid out beneath the scum. And then first, there you have this new song, and I thought blacksmiths, yes, blacksmiths, okay. It sounded like people working. Ding, yeah. do, do, do. So I got a frying pan from the kitchen and I went, do, do, <laughs> do. No, that's, that kind of works. So I'll, I'll record, do, do. Yeah, that works. But I wanted to sound like an anvil, but, but um, it's out of tune. Um, what is the key of that? So I'm like trying to find the key next of the frying pan. And then, the, so I think it's a bit out of tune. So I get something else that's like the frying pan and that sounds like a more like an anvil. So I'm like hitting the spoon. And then it's like I've got something. And then I put that on the beat. So it sounds like blacksmiths working. And then I've got something that's not like anything I've written before at all. So it's, you know, it's, it's and it was also probably because I'd gone and we're back to the influences. Yeah. Because I'd gone to see the Three Penny Opera at the National Theatre. And I loved it. I loved the music because it was an accordion and I think they had a tuba, a guy playing a tuba, and they are all Jack Brell, the way they were dressed. And I just thought, oh, this is great. And I loved the smell of the theatre and the way they used shadows. And, and the only reason I was there was because Sarah, my wife, loves things like that. You know, yeah. she, she would go and see modern dance and I just kind of like, I'm designated driver in a way, you know, I kind of go uh, taking her, but it's that thing of being forced into something where you go, I wouldn't necessarily go to that, but I'm here and I'm, wow, this couple dancing around this light bulb, they look amazing. That's, that's I wouldn't have gone to, I wouldn't have just done that. I would have just stayed at home drinking tea. But um, that's the wonder of, again, influences and then other people's influences and it all gets put into songwriting. And, and I will songwrite for the rest of my life whether it's released or not, mm-hmm. or whether it's finished or not. It's just something I just like doing. I just like like painting or anything. It's just something I have to do. And if I don't do it, I get probably, it's blocked somehow, like conversation. You have to keep doing it yep. for it to flow. Like anything, if, if you stop doing your job, you'd get grumpy. Yeah. <laughs> go, I, I, have to, I have to do this, you know. Yeah. Even if it's not successful, it's what I have to do. And if you're a creative person, you can't do proper things. That's why you're creative. You have to do something that, that isn't other, other, you know, you have, you, you know, you can't get a proper job. Yeah. Totally understand all of that. And yeah. so the words of your songs, they I'm gathering that they from 
personal experiences and experiences like going to that modern dance and seeing those dances mm. around the light bulb and being, ah, I didn't think of that. And this is something new and different. So it's a combination mm. of all of those packed together that create the words and the story of the song. Am I correct? Mm. Yeah, exactly. Um, and and you f- I have to force myself to come from a different approach as well. Like, you know, like an aircraft landing, you know, you do that every the same every time. This is the thing of I have to approach the airport from a different. Maybe it's just going with the wind. You have to, you know, the it's just you have to have a different approach. You know, you can't go in on the same every yeah. time. You have to know that there's a northwesterly or something, or you know, it's, it's the way you you come in. But you get different results definitely with with songwriting if you just. Otherwise, I think you would probably write the same song over and over. You'll probably get. It might get better and then you might hit that one or it might get slowly more just kind of samey. Who knows? Yeah, totally. Um, I totally, totally get you. And uh, that sameness is planning life and <laughs> that going yeah. with the wind is flowing like the breeze and just letting it happen <laughs> like we spoke about earlier. It's working with life. Yeah. It's, it's working not against it. It's, it's going with it. But, you know, sometimes you do that force and going against it is creative process itself, you know, and not being the same. So you you do. I mean, I I, I sometimes use hypnotherapy to kickstart my creative brain. Yeah. If I haven't been using it for a while, you know, if you've been, um, you know, I I just see them as tools, really. You know, just yeah. like anything, like meditation, which is which really you can call it meditation, but it's just sitting down and closing your eyes. Yeah. I mean, you don't have to close your eyes, do you? I mean, but it's yeah. sitting down and taking a breather. You know, and I need to do that to be able to sit down, take a breather. Otherwise, things are frantic. You know, you find yourself going to the cupboard and you've already grabbed hold of the rice, you know, and put it into the pot before. So you'll end up going to get the rice and it's all over the floor. It's not, you know, whereas if you meditate, you go and get the rice and you you, you can observe yourself getting the, the rice. You take it out and then you close the cupboard properly and you put the rice into the water the boiling water you don't put the rice into an empty saucepan it's about being in the moment and present and not allowing your thoughts of planning or zoning out or worrying or stressing about other things take you away from the daily life of just being yeah and then you appreciate everything that you're doing because you're you are the observer observing everything as you go and not like when you're younger which is just happening to you you know it's like happening to you and you don't appreciate it. It's just happened. It's just like everything's just kind of like that. And, and the, the older you get, you just want to slow it down and appreciate life more because it's more gets more precious because you realize it's not here forever. Totally. You know? Well, it totally. is. I mean, I suppose. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> As in, life is here forever because whether we're here or not, life yeah. will go on. Exactly. You know, until the end of life. And who knows when that is. <laughs> You know, it'll just change. I mean, even you know, even if somebody decides decide to blow it up tomorrow, it will evolve into something else. Something else, yeah. So tell me about your experience in South Africa. Have you been here before? Have you performed here or been here? What's your perception and experience of South Africa? It's limited because I haven't had any. Your This is the first interview. Oh, wow. With, okay. Yeah, yeah. Oh, so okay. It, begin, it begins here. This is the, This is the new beginning. Oh, well, that's brilliant. I, so I'm going to pat myself on the shoulder for that. <laughs> that we speak to you first. Beginning. Oh, that's yeah. awesome. Okay. It's taken 61 years. Well, nearly 61. I'm, I'm 61 in May. So then mm. that means that the next step will be coming to perform here 
and then uh, meeting and being part of this country. But our, our podcast is listened throughout the world, not only in South Africa. You're currently still touring at the moment, correct? Yeah, I, well, I'm, I'm kind of, it was strange after COVID because it seemed like only festival outdoor events were being were going ahead. So we didn't plan anything indoor, but being in the UK, uh, we accepted all sort of like outdoor stuff. And then gradually it looks like indoor is coming back. So we're just taking things as they come. Yep. Like a, I'm doing a, a gig in a flower shop, a rec stroke record store tomorrow, where it's oh, just, wow. a, you know, you know, like 50 people, I think, or 80 people. And um, it's going to be lovely, you know, just yeah. uh, singing with some people who are obviously into flowers and records, which is same here. And uh, shops, you know, which when you get older, you just love going in and out of shops and cafes. And I, I spend all day in a cafe, you know, just observing people and drinking drinking tea or you know and having a flapjack and then having another cup of tea and yeah. whiling away the time the whole day's gone by and it's just floated by but you've just really enjoyed being in a cafe it's just, it's just Be- a lovely simple thing being the observer as you mentioned before <laughs> yeah, yeah. You, you, you watch the coronation chicken flying out <laughs> <laughs> you think i wonder what it's going to be used as a filling on that lady that's just come in yeah i wonder if she'll go to the Maybe she's vegan. Maybe she'll go for that dish. <laughs> Maybe we should go for the beetroot because beetroot's really good yeah. for the heart. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, she'll she'll feel that pumping through her veins for the rest of the week if she has a beetroot. <laughs> now, tell me, from when you started, it was vinyl, then cassettes, CDs. I'm a CD type of guy. I love my CDs. Still buy them. Now it's the digital platforms. What's your perception of the way people now listen and consume music compared to 20, 10 years ago, 20 years ago, 40 years ago when you started out? Well, you know, it's, it's, it's completely changed, isn't it? I mean, I, you know, is it for the better or is it not? Uh, as, a, as a consumer, I love it because I can, I'm getting to hear all the songs that I didn't hear and couldn't afford before. Like I'm, I'm playing all the 10cc albums that I could never buy because I couldn't buy everybody's music. Mm-hmm. But now we're actually, you know, for a subscription, I actually get to hear everybody's music. So as a, as a music fan, I'm, I'm lo- I love it. Um, it's changed the way music is consumed so much that records aren't there, but CDs still are. So you can make, I mean, I still think album when I'm making music. So even though now it's still just songs, content to release, share, creativity yep. instantly which I love. I just love that. I mean, when MySpace first came out, I thought, hallelujah, this is, this is amazing. I can make something here at home and share it today, so, which is what I used to do. I didn't realise people were just kind of like taking it. But as an artist, I didn't mind because for years of being in a record company where it took years through the process, the creative process of putting an album together, uh, so involved with everyone and everything. So this was just really quick. It was like, okay, I can do a doodle on my piano or something and then I don't even have to sort of mix it or anything it's wow this is it I can share this with people so as an artist I was 100% satisfied but there wasn't any there wasn't any payment going on so you know but that was similar to what I've been used to because you used to get an advance and that used to have to last you for ages so you never really saw any money anyway Um, and as I wasn't money driven it, it worked for me okay but there comes a time when you have to be, you have to work it out. You have to grow up and know that 
you do actually have to learn about this stuff as well because it's all part of the creative process too. It's very creative, you know, like mathematics can be creative. You know, money can be creative too. It's really good. And to embrace that, it's, it, can be, it, can, it can be just, just as creative. It's, it's nice to know how much you, the frame costs on your painting. Yeah. You know, and, and to know. Because uh, I, I, I used to have that kind of mentality of Alfred Wallace, you know, the, uh, the rag and bone man in Cornwall who just used to paint naive. It was called naive art, but only because he wasn't trained. But he ha- obviously had artistic flair, you know, and the way he would write on to hardboard and straight on onto there and like pencil it, scratch it in and then just paint. So all the boats were flat and in the harbour and it's like, there's the harbour, there's the boats. One dimensional, great, but artistically it's like, wow, that's not just somebody just kind of, you know, lots of people can paint a boat in a harbour scene, but they have no artistic merit. What is the merit for this? And why are they now like now in the Tate? Because yeah. they're just, they're just on bits of driftwood or, but it's, wow, it's just great. It's, and I mean, I, I love, I offer what is for that. He's got this painting called The Blue Ship and I have it on my wall as inspiration because I love that idea of not waiting to be Mozart before you start composing. You know, the, the, the thing is for me is that I love the aesthetic of holding the CD. I love the holding the booklets, seeing the, the words. It, you know, for me, this access to everything is not is a bit um, of a facade because mm-hmm. of, oftentimes I'll go into a playlist on one of the platforms that I created and some of the songs are no longer there. Whereas if I've got the CD, the songs are always mine. There'll never be a chance of them being deleted or taken away. Yeah. Yeah. And that is it. It's about, it's, but that's what the internet is, isn't it? It's that thing of ownership. Who actually owns this, yeah. these creative works? Yeah. And when that means owning, it's also not just kind of like, it's, it's tangible. It's physically. When you own a copy, you own it for life. Yeah. Like a book. And then you have your bookshelves and you leave your books to people. You pass on your books and, and it's about worth and then about self-worth and the worth of something. And, you know, like an, and now, I mean, there's a shop in town near me called Jonkers, I think it's called. And it, it sells books and first editions for hundreds of thousands of pounds uh, because it's worth something. It's worth that. It's, yeah. other, otherwise, it's that thing of all vintage cars would just be deleted <laughs> as yeah. worthless things or anything from the past but that's not so so you're right it has kind of like undermined music in a certain way so good for listening good for discovery but also personally it can yeah yeah it can take away the magic i mean yeah and also the sound quality is not as good as when you put on a vinyl or cd or cassette the quality in the digital world as far as i understand is a little bit muted so you don't get that full encompassing musical experience when listening. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and also the changes in the music world about how people make music. Things don't sound like Bohemian Rhapsody because it's not people in a studio making music together physically and you know, going from one studio to another and all the happy accidents that happen there and all the influences of the sound engineer and the producer and even the assistant who mics it up a certain way and might mic it up two inches differently to how they did beforehand. And it's just got a slightly vibier sound. 
that you could never recreate again. And I know that because, you know, if you try and recreate old stuff, it's almost impossible to do that the same way. It won't sound the same. When everybody yeah. re-recorded all their music for Apple, people know. I mean, yeah. there's something about the, the time. It's you've, you've, you've taken a snapshot in the photo of that time. Yes, you can have a vintage filter, but it's not an actual vintage photo. And also the instruments, you know, back in the 70s and 80s, everyone was actually playing the instruments. They weren't all computerized. I remember mm -hmm. I was with a, a younger friend of mine and we were listening to a classic, let's change it to a classic Donna Summer song. And he said, why does it sound so different? I said, it's not different. They're playing actual instruments. Mm. That's the difference yeah. compared to yeah. being computerized. Well, that, that's the, the magic of, of uh, art right there, you know, uh, and, and, uh, and they would have spent a long time capturing that magic in that way. You know, it's the vibe of it. Like, you know, why is take four got something that take one didn't have or vice versa? There's something about it. Um, and that would have been a load of a group of people all deciding that together. You know, when we were, do, when we were recording Love Plus One, there was something about the take that we used. It was the right tempo because we weren't playing to a click in those yeah. days. It was about getting the right tempo and it was like ah there's something it grooves that one yeah and, you know and even if you which is what a lot of people still did i mean in the beatles they did it as well where they took take one and take four and it was you know verse the first the intro the first verse and the chorus from take one and then they chop it into another one and there was loads of that i mean she said she said by the beatles was loads of creative chopping up to make it sound like it was kind of out of out of step with itself but it that was really creative the way she said i know what it's like to da, da, da. it was like oh that's kind of wrong footed you almost like what and that was just in the editing so uh, yes you can do that now completely i mean you can do it all on a laptop you can make stuff here but it's still on a grid and that's why everything now has that and digital does sound good it sounds amazing i mean yeah. there's some amazing stuff from I mean, in the new lizzo funk stuff is just brilliant um and it does, does sound progression from funk you know you've got funk adelic and then you, you know George clinton you've got all that stuff and moving all the way through and chic and shalimar and you know high tension and spando ballet and you know here go 100 you go all this stuff that goes yeah. on but then you've got you've got you know lizzo taking all those elements and it today's production which just sounds so sophisticated in certain ways and it's, but it's still using the elements of the past and it sounds really good, but the, there's something about the real playing that just has yeah. that magic. I mean, you cannot do Bohemian Rhapsody on a laptop. No. <laughs> it cannot be conceived. I mean, it just won't happen. Yeah. It wouldn't have happened. The whole process would have not made that happen. So besides yeah. Lizzo, who of the current artists are you, are you currently listening and are on your playlist? Well, well I, I like such a vast array of new news new and old stuff I and mean, i love npr music for just hearing new stuff and i i don't even know who they are and i don't remember them because it's not important in a way who they are so much as the music that they're making i really enjoy all the live stuff that they're doing i really like listening to Corey wong on instagram and there's loads of guys there's a guy that fernando the bass player that just like plays bass along with other people's records he's just i like his afro <laughs> um, so it's a mixture of different things i've never been just kind of like Oh, I just like that. And that's that. Um, I like Jessie Buckley because she's just, just, you know, who was in Wild Rose and just a brilliant actress. 
but her voice also is just heavenly. I mean, what a gifted actress and singer. You don't normally get that together. Mm-hmm. Um, well, you did in the good old days, but it doesn't yeah. really happen. But she has that. And she, like she was at the Met Gala, you know, dressed brilliantly. I think she's shone out because she she got it. She got the she got what 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 it was. What was it? Was it something glamour uh, this year? Sophisticated glamour or something? I'll have to find out what that was. Yeah. But the theme was definitely something about glamour. But um, she she got it right, and uh, she had a great. She looked like a a Spanish guitar Mexican Spanish guitar player with a moustache. Yeah, I saw that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Great look. Yeah, yeah. you know. And um, I, I think she's really good. And she's brilliant in Wild Rose. And she does a brilliant um, Glaswegian accent. But she's done this album with, I think she might be Glaswegian, actually. Because she does just brilliant accents anyway. Um, which shows a brilliant actress. But she, yeah, she's just, uh, she's done this album with Donald Butler, you know, which is great. You know, he's a great artist as well. And they've come together and have made wonderful music. Yeah. You know, so I listen to her and I'm like, that's something to aspire to because I can't sing like that. So to hear somebody singing like that, it's just, it's just amazing. And you think, wow, you know, and to, you know, to be able to write, like, you know, you listen to Freddie Mercury and you think, you know, to write something like Bohemian Rhapsody, you know, you'd have to go all over the place like that. It's, it's like operatic. You'd have to be able to dive places. Yeah. You know, you, you can't just be, some, some people just can't be Paul McCartney and go, Blackbird singing in the dead of night, take these frozen wings and learn to fly. You know, so all those kind of, not a lot of people can be that blackbird flying around because they might be a different kind of bird completely. They might be just a, a blue tit and just a you know tiny voice and flitting all over the place and just everywhere. And other people might just be a chicken or uh, a goose, Yeah. you know, or uh, I mean, you know, if you're a chicken you, or if you're a pheasant, you're never really going to be taking off. But, you know, you're really good at kind of like being on the ground, mm-hmm. you know. And you get going in, you can go in and out the bushes pretty well. Um, but it's also it's also important to not, you know, honor what you have and your difference, and not compare yourself to the others because then it will become this over mental thing of like, oh, I'm not good yeah. enough. Yeah, well, you know, that can, you can come a cropper with that as a creative person because you know, hell is comparison with others, isn't it? You know, yeah. you just. That's what it is. I mean, you're not going anywhere if you get that. And then we're back to Alfred Wallace. I mean, you know, he wouldn't have even started painting. Um, it's just that thing of you, you do something and you just compare it instantly to someone else and you go, oh, I'm not, I'm not going to play cello then. You know, that's that. Yeah. Um, but you've only played cello for two minutes. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, even Jacqueline Dupre to start, you know, she had to go to cello lessons at some point or just pick one up. Um, like, like you said so, earlier, it's one step forward, just taking that first step and just starting and just get better and better and better. I mean, if I thought to myself, oh, no, I'm, you know, I'm never, it's, I'm way too old to become successful in South Africa. Therefore, I'm never going to do anything. And that's that. And nothing would even, we wouldn't be doing this at all because it would be pointless. And then you'd, you'd have a closed door to everywhere. You know, that's pointless. I'm never going to Wimbledon. I never do this. I'm never, you know, I'm not going to do anything. And then you just, you end up, um, it's not, not, not achieving anything. It's just the fact that you just, uh, you're not open to anything. And mm. you may just even just end up at home, <laughs> you know, quite depressed yeah. about everything. Maybe, you know, and, and someday it's going to break through the clouds and that depression, you'll have to kind of like go, well, I might join Twitter. 
and because uh, I want to be president of the United States. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> That's so funny. <laughs> I mean, that was just an old geezer at home. It was really depressed yeah. one day. Wasn't it? <laughs> yeah. As a final uh, question to you to finish off today, for our listeners in South Africa and around the world, what is your final comment message to the listening audience? Well, it's interesting, actually, because I, I wrote something down. I must have, you know, we're talking about influences. And I don't think sometimes influences can be longstanding or hang around for ages and just be there. And then, you know, 10 or 20 years later, you go to do something and you're influenced by it. I think sometimes you can be influenced by something really quickly. And I, I just picked up a book. I like, I like having this book laying around sometimes because it's just, it's a book that you can kind of like just open up and just there's always something that reflects in what's going on at the moment you go oh i needed to read that and i've seen loads of different translations of it and they're all completely different like they're not the same at all it's a fascinating book well okay for the for the people who are listening what's it called uh loud by lao tzu tao Te Ching by lao tzu okay yeah and uh you know it's it was i obviously was influenced by something you can read something like the Tao and bits from it and go, oh, this is interesting. Like, the greatest straightness looks like crookedness. The greatest skill appears clumsy. The greatest eloquence sounds like stammering. Restlessness overcomes cold, but calm overcomes heat. The peaceful and serene is the norm of the world. And you're just kind of like reading this stuff. And honestly, I got inspired by some of this. And I wrote in the back, it said, if your mind is is an sky and thoughts the clouds you will need to clear your mind regularly and so that's the thing of just being influenced by wisdom immediately at the time and then writing something which is kind of like your version of it that yeah. you've just read and so that's it it's about everybody interpreting something differently like your way of putting it and i i like that from everyone it's like like it, you know, when people, you know, people try and interpret interpret it, you know, they, they can't talk about it because it can't be named. And, you know, there's words for it and they, they all get used. Different people use them all the time. And it's so, um, when I say it, what is it? You know, because it, and it's, it's, it is unexplainable because it's how, while we're all here and you, I call it life. But, you know, lots of people have got different words for it. But it's, it is kind of how do people explain it? And you've got different people explaining it. And some are really good, like good doctors, and some aren't. But then when one resonates with you, like somebody's explaining it, because somebody might not go, I don't get, I don't get that. But that thing that that got, oh, yeah, if your mind is an English sky, okay, that's a lot simpler. Uh, uh, okay. And the thoughts, the clouds, yeah, I've got a cloudy mind and a cloudy sky a lot of the time and it's quite dismal and gray here uh you will need to clear your mind regularly yeah like i go for a poo and like every morning <laughs> i'm really good about that I, I i need to do that if i didn't poo I'd, I'd be it'd be awful yeah yeah i need to clear my mind i need to have a because i i feel really clear on a sunny day i don't know it's like i need a blue sky i need a blue sky and i need a clear sky but what if you didn't need a clear sky or a blue sky and you felt clear, clear-minded without the weather affecting you. Mm -hmm. And then, and that's what draws you closer to it. And you go, ah, ah, it is a fantastic day. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe. 
Well, that's so beautifully put from the brilliant Mr. Nick Haywood. Thank you for your time today. It's been an honor chatting with you. And thank you to our listening audience for listening in. This is Barrett Edelstein signing out. Cheers. <laughs>